Well, good morning. Happy Memorial Day. If uh, you are on this side of the crowd, um, you're probably wondering why I came in here really late. Don't worry, I have a good reason. It's fifth grade farewell today, and I've got a fifth grader that's going to be a middle schooler next year, so just pray for me, all right? Um, I'm not okay with that. Anyways, uh, we're not going to deal with that this morning. This isn't group therapy, so we're going to move on. Um, We have been in Exodus. We've been looking at this series called My People. Last week, if I can remind you and forgive the parents that are coming in right now because they're fifth grade parents, okay? Um, Scoot over, make them feel welcome, all right? Uh, We're looking at the Ten Commandments. Last week, God audibly spoke to the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. Like with his voice booming from a cloud with lightning and thunder and it, it completely panicked them so much so that this is how they responded. This is Exodus 2018. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance and trembled with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your, excuse me, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Now, here's the, can you remember this, right? God booms, all of a sudden the people, the nation of Israel is like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want anything, we don't want to do that again, right? Like that was, that was too terrifying. And, And then there's this weird section there where Moses says, don't be afraid, right? It was direct some straight up. Don't be afraid. And then he says, so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. What is going on, right? Now, their immediate fear is just this reaction of fear, like we got to run and hide kind of fear. Um, that's what he's saying. Don't be afraid. Don't run and hide right now. God speaking just spoke to you and we need to listen and take that into consideration. But then he says that this fear of the Lord, this thing that we're supposed to have, this fear of the Lord is supposed to do what? It's supposed to cause us to keep from sinning. What's that about? This past week, um, we, do, we, we have gotten to do this one other time, but our staff, entire staff packed up and we left and took off and we went to King's Island for the day. Now we get the passes where you can eat every 90 minutes. And there's a couple of us, my, myself including, that try to eat every 90 minutes the entire time we're there and then jump on roller coasters in between. It's so much fun, right? Like, like we left and I felt like I was gonna throw up everywhere. And I'm like, why do we do this to ourselves? Like I am about to be 40. Surely I'm more mature than this. I'm not, okay? So uh, not at all. But we went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower there. The Eiffel Tower there, as you go up the top, they tell you it's one third of the size of the real Eiffel Tower. The doors open up and you step out and you realize how high you are. I can't imagine being, you know, two more of those up into the air. And it's one of those things where what happens to you? You get this fear of height, how high you are. The real realization that if there wasn't a cage surrounding you, if you walk to the edge, and yes, the answer to the question you're thinking is, yes, I did walk to the edge and put my toes over just like I do on this stage. And I put my face to the bars and look down, right? Um, because in us, there should be this fear that causes us not to do those things. But again, this is why women live longer than men do. We don't have that, men, okay? And so... I walked over, but there was this little bit of like anxiety in me because there is this fear of what if this bar doesn't hold up, right? 
What if I do fall from this high? I know the distance and therefore it creates in me this healthy fear that keeps me from doing something dumb. It's the exact same way when it comes to God. When we understand how big, how mighty, how other he is than us, it gives us this healthy fear to approach him in the right way. And it encourages us to do what? To keep ourselves from sinning. If we know that that is opposite of who he is in his nature, then that helps us understand that's not what God has designed for us. And so my hope is that you don't hear when you hear fear of the Lord, like fear of an abusive father, you hear fear like this is a good thing for me, right? It kind of goes back to the boundaries that were set for us a couple of weeks ago. God is good to us, loves us, and wants us to have this healthy fear of who he is. Now, he goes on just a couple of verses later in uh, verse 23, he says this, remember, you must not make idols of silver or gold to rival me. It's almost as if God, okay, he gave that in the 10 commandments. He's already said that once, but he re reiterates it right here because it's almost as if God knows what's gonna happen, right? Don't make any idols. Remember I said that like 10 minutes ago. I'm saying it again, don't do that. But the problem is, is we know, we know the nation of Israel, right? We know that they will ultimately fail. So we're gonna look at that this morning. Before we do, let me pray for us. Just ask God to bless our time this morning. God, we come before you humbly. We wanna acknowledge right now, right up top, that your ways are higher than ours, that you are outside of us, that you are who you are and we are who we are. Help us this morning to approach you humbly. Help us to approach you with an appropriate fear, knowing that you are the one who sustains us, who created us, who's forgiven us, and who has a plan for us. God, we thank you for that this morning. We ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us just to hear the words you have to speak this morning. Would you speak for we're listening? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles and haven't turned, go ahead and turn with me to chapter uh, 24 is where we're going to start. We're going to hit a couple chapters today, so you're going to need your Bibles. Chapter 24. And uh, so what's happened since, since that moment, right? Uh, God gives the Ten Commandments, then he gives some regulations and rules uh, that have to do with living together. And then at the end of 23, uh, the, the nation of Israel agrees to these terms to be in covenant with him. They're like, yes, we're in, we're all in. We're together, let's do this. And then we see in uh, Exodus 20, 24, we see this take place in verse, uh, let's see here, 15. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so Moses is up there. He's kind of waiting, hanging out. Um, and all of a sudden the cloud descends to come and talk to Moses specifically. Um, and this cloud, as it descends, Moses goes up into it. But down at the base, when they're looking up, all they can see is this like consuming fire, right? 
this overwhelming fire that's taking place. And so Moses speaks to God directly for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time, right? We're told that that's a pretty good distance of time. And so as he's up there, 40 days and 40 nights, talking to God, he's, God's giving him these plans, these uh, rules and regulations, these things that are going to help them understand who they are and how they're supposed to live. Um, and as that's taking place um, down on, and, and at the base of the mountain, they're just existing. The nation of Israel is kind of uh, under Aaron's leadership, hanging out for all intents and purposes. They're just waiting in this moment for what's next. And so what's, so again, we have the mountain where God, where God and Moses are, and then we have uh, this moment. And, and if you read through Exodus, you know, all the way to chapter 32, it's all this conversation between God and Moses. We're not going to cover that. We're not going to get in the nitty gritty. We got to stay up here because we got a lot to cover. Okay. But then you get to Exodus 32 and it, now you got to understand this. Exodus 32 is like a flash back. Okay. So Moses, you kind of get to Moses where he's almost to, to, coming down the mountain, then they flash back to the nation of Israel at the base of the mountain. It says this in Exodus 32, verse one. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. Then, then when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O oh Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. So here's what happens. 40 days, 40 nights, too long, right? Nation of Israel, it's too long for them. They want something sooner than that. And so they go to Aaron, who's in charge of the people for that time. And, and they say, Aaron, we need something to worship. We need uh, some kind of uh, image, idol, something. And so what does Aaron do? Aaron comes up with a plan. He instructs them to do what? To take the gold earrings, bring them, we'll gather them all together, we'll melt it down and I'll fashion it into a calf. Once they fashion it into the calf, they realize, oh, okay, this is something we can worship. And so they begin worshiping and Aaron decides like, we're gonna throw a festival to the Lord. And then they proceed to do so. Now, here's what you need to understand. There's a couple things here, okay? Basically, they get to the point where Israel no longer wants God in God's terms. Instead, they don't want Yahweh the way he has delivered himself, how he's explained himself, how he has set up and established the relationship. They want Yahweh their way. Yahweh their way is, I need something that I can see, visually push around, carry and worship. And so they decide to make this calf. Now understand this, they didn't, they didn't start worshiping another God. They just started worshiping Yahweh, their way. They started worshiping God in a fashion that they felt comfortable with, something that they had been exposed to, something they had experienced in Egypt for 400 years. 
Now, if you remember, go back to this, remember like the plagues, okay? When you go back to the plagues, remember that, that there's this moment when um, one of the plagues is on all the livestock of the, of the earth. And in fact, God just strikes them dead. And when he strikes them dead, what's he doing? He's trying to show that he's better than the one God that represent, was represented by what? A bull. God strikes them dead. There's like this stench across the land because there's all these dead animals. And God's saying in that moment, I'm bigger than that God. And what are they doing right here? They're returning to the exact same slavery they had before. No, no, no. We want Yahweh our way. We're going to make him back into a calf. Maybe not the full size bull, maybe just a calf. And we're going to worship that. And that bull, the symbol of that bull was for two things. Fertility, fertility, and, and sexual reasons. Okay, I'm not going to go any deeper than that. You get the picture. And then what's it say? They have this festival. They get up early in the morning to do what? They begin feasting and drinking and they indulge in pagan revelry. Every other translation says they got up and to play. I'm not going to draw too many pictures here. There's kids in the crowd. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is not something they should be indulging in. They're returning back to exactly what they just came from because they are so impatient that now they just want Yahweh their way. I, I want to be able to worship them the way we've always worshiped. And, and God does not want that for them. The nation of Israel in this moment completely and utterly fails. They fail. So we snap back up to the top of the mountain. Okay, Exodus 32, uh, verse 7. Back to Moses and the Lord. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way that I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bowed down into sacrifice to it. They're saying, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now listen to this. We, we entitled this whole series, What? my people. Because for one of the first times in the Old Testament, God says, these are my people, my special possession, my holy nation, my royal priesthood. And then in this moment, when we're acting a fool down at the base of the mountain, what's God say to Moses? Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. This is one of those moments like, you have kids in the room, if you don't, just wait, right? If you have kids in the room, like they do something and it's that moment. Let me just say this, okay? When we first moved here, um, we moved here in 2014. We had like our first friends. They were on the interview team, first friends of this church come over to our house, okay? They come over. Well, there was kind of chaos at the time. I mean, Emma was two, Taylor was four and, and we we're trying to get dinner ready. And, and the door, there's a knock at the door. So I said, Taylor, can you open the door? So he runs to open the door. And I were kind of around the corner to the entryway and there's my daughter. And then there's my son opening the door and there's uh, this couple and their boys and they come walking in and Emma with her dress just says, hey, and pulls it up over her head. I'm like, Hey, honey, come see what your daughter did to greet our friends, right? It's that moment. I was like, God was like, but, but see, it's, it's that, instead of being embarrassed, which I was embarrassed in that moment, uh, it was like anger. It was God's anger. Hey, your people whom you brought out of Egypt are down there and have fashioned a golden calf, an idol to worship. 
I need you to go deal with that, Moses. And then we read, not embarrassment, but we read judgments in verse nine when the Lord speaks. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. And I will destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord, his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them from the evil intention of slaughtering uh, them and excuse me, with evil intentions of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about the terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give them all this land that I have promised to your descendants and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Now there's a couple of things we're gonna have to wrestle with here this morning. We've already wrestled with a hard one, which was uh, fear of the Lord. We didn't take enough time for that. I'll just tell you that right now. But um, there's this one. And how do, we, how do we wrestle with this? You see, um, his judgment comes as a result of what? Them wanting Yahweh their way. And, and let me back it up for a second, because I think about that sometimes. How do we do the exact same when we're trying to patiently wait on the Lord? It was a couple months ago that um, we experienced something for the first time in our family. One of our children uh, had what I would say now and, and understand now as a panic attack. All right, our, our kids are 10 and 12. Um, I didn't think that that would take place with my kids, 10 and 12 years old, but um, one of our kids did. And I thought maybe it was a result of something that was uh, small that had taken place in uh, the life of our family. Um, but then it happened again. And in fact, it continued to happen for uh, three weeks, kind of once or twice a week. And you, and you see as a, as a parent, especially as a dad and a male, like I just kept trying to solve these problems. I kept trying to figure out how to fix it. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell family. We didn't tell friends. We just, we researched it. Uh, my wife and I talked about it. Uh, we tried different things and failed over and over and over. We just kept trying to do things to fix it. And in this moment, what we were ultimately doing was just taking things into our own hands. I have to confess to you, for three weeks, I barely prayed about it. I just tried to fix it. Finally, it all came to a head in one weekend uh, where we had about probably six or seven panic attacks. It ended with a Sunday night. Um, where I was up past midnight with said child because every time they were on the brink of falling asleep, they would and shoot back up and have to calm them down again. Monday nights when I knew it had to come to an end because Monday night, it was 1.30. We've been going at it for almost two and a half hours. And finally it was like, what, what do we need to do? <laughs> it was only at that moment that we really truthfully got honest about praying for our kid. It was at that moment that we decided to let some of our friends in and what was going on and ask them to pray for them. It was that moment that we kind of told our families about it and, and sought some help and some support in it. And let me tell you today, it is, is better. 
because our friends told us things that we can think about in the moment for our child because we're so exhausted and so tired. But you see, we wanted to do it our way. And truthfully, uh, it wasn't until we started doing it God's way where we started actually praying about it and seeking uh, advice and guidance from others that, that we actually began to figure it out. And in this moment, that's what the nation of Israel has done. They have spent this entire time, 40 days and 40 nights, thinking about how can we do this worship of God our way? And then God says, I'm going to punish them. And this is intense. He even says, I'm going to remove all of them. And then Moses, I'll just use you to make a great nation. The promise that he gave to who? They gave to Abraham. And then Moses goes into this plea and begs God to change his mind. And so the question that is raised in this passage is like, and then it says, verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster. So can we change God's mind? Anybody else want to come up and preach today? (laughs) Can we change God's mind? I've wrestled with this one this past week. And the I'm going to tell you the short answer to this, okay? We can talk about the long one later. You can email me. We'll have a heyday. Verse 14 is a terrible translation. It just is. I wouldn't use NLT because every single other version, if you go look it up, uh, I love Bible Gateway. You can look up a passage and just keep hitting the little button that looks like two pages of a Bible and it just keeps popping up versions for you side by side, and you can see the same verse in like 15 different versions, bless you, right? And if you look it up, every single other version says, so the Lord relented in his terrible disaster. Did Moses change God's mind from punishing the people to not punishing the people? No, he did not. What happened was God decided, I'm going to just punish the ones who worship this idol, right? So it's not changing his mind. He's still punished. We're gonna read about that in a second. He still punished God's people. He just didn't punish them as severely. So no, it's not that he changed his mind. And when we read that sometimes, then that's what causes us to think that we can in some way change God. God's mind has been made up since the beginning. He knit you together. He knows the plan he has for you. He knows how the end's gonna end. This is why we have confidence. We might lose battles left and right to Satan, but the truth is, is we've already won. Jesus isn't in the grave. Heaven is real, right? God's not gonna all of a sudden change his mind about heaven. That's already done, made up. That's one of those moments where it's like, that is so far out of our ability to think in our finite minds that it kind of scares you a little bit. Welcome to the fear of the Lord, right? Welcome to the fear of the Lord. How in the world could he know the ending already? Because he's in control of it all. He's present in it all. Gosh, I'm, that's a whole nother sermon. All right, focus, Lance. Let's continue reading. Then Moses turned and went down to the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. Then Joshua, when Joshua heard the boistering noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not the shout of victory or the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. 
When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to us, make us gods who will lead us. Uh, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses so, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I'm glad you find that as humorous as I do. Like, what? Understand this, okay? When we want Yahweh our way, we move further and further and further away from Yahweh, God's way. Notice this is the third time now that we're getting the 10 commandments. The first time we got them audibly from God and we're like, no, we don't wanna do that again. No, thanks. So then God takes his own finger and writes them on the tablets himself. But when Moses comes down the mountain, he sees them acting like fools at the base of the mountain. He does exactly what they've already done. He smashes the 10 commandments. He breaks the 10 commandments because they've already broken the 10 commandments. They've done, they've broken the second commandment. They made an idol and they're worshiping it at the base of the mountain. And then he begins punishment for them because he now has the anger that the Lord has. He melts the gold down, uh, mixes it into dust and then puts it into the water, makes them drink it. Why in the world would he do that? Because he's proven a point. He's making them drink it because it's gonna come right back out of them, right? We know that. It's not something that can be worshiped if it's something that can do that. And so he does that. And then he goes to Aaron, right? And so we're seeing this failure on like a, a, a big version, like the whole nation, right? This macro version, but this micro version is like, Aaron, what is going on? I left you in charge. What, what could possibly have happened that led you to, to make for them this calf? Well, they just brought me all the gold and I threw it in the fire and whoop, here came a calf. Like you guys see those, those videos on the internet? Like I love these videos, okay? Like the little kid comes around the corner covered head to toe in like powdered sugar. And the, the parent's like, hey, little Johnny, like um, there's a lot of powdered sugar in the kitchen. What happened? I don't know. Johnny, what, did you get into the powdered sugar? Nope, it was Bubby. Really, right? Like he's covered in powdered sugar. And you're just like, it's adorable. This is Aaron. I just threw it in the fire and out came a calf. Aaron, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right? Like this is the failure put on display for us. This, this, and I look at them and I think, gosh, how in the world could Israel be this much of a failure? How in the world could Aaron be this much of a failure? And then I stop and think, well, what was my week like? Probably not too far off of the nation of Israel. Probably not too far off of Aaron. Because you see, you and I do the same thing. You and I want Yahweh our way. We want to have God in the way we want to have God. 
not the way he reveals himself. See, here's the thing. I'm gonna drill down a little harder. You want Yahweh your way. And this ain't BK, okay? Y'all know the jingle, right? My kid sings all the time. BK, have it your way. No, that ain't it, okay? It's not. You can't have Yahweh your way. God says, it's one way and it's my way. Nation of Israel tried it. Aaron tried it. And the truth is you and I try it almost every day. That's not the way that God wants you to interact with him. In fact, I mean, oh gosh, we just don't have enough time. Um, I'm gonna have to hurry up. We're we're running out of time. Uh, It's our failure, right? It's our failure because we want what? We want God the way we want. We want to pick and choose. You talk about, we'll take the gold because he's royal. I like that one. I, oh, let's take the gold. Let's take all the gold earrings. Let's fashion them into a calf because, you know, we, we like to play. Okay, I'm going to read in between the lines there, people. Right? Like, we like to play. We like that stuff. And so let's make them into that thing, to I, the idol to worship. And we just pick and choose. And the truth is, like, I hear this all the time. Well, I'm, I'm more of like a New Testament Christian. Are you kidding me? You don't get to pick and choose? First of all, I don't know how you're a New Testament Christian because it's all based off the Old Testament. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Good luck with that. You know what, Jesus, the thing he quotes the most, it's the Old Testament. Good luck, right? Oh, well, it says a loving God. He doesn't, he's not a punishing God. There's a pretty well-known pastor in the United States probably 15 years ago now that decided, you know what, there's only a heaven. Oh, so you want Yahweh your way, buddy, right? Good luck with that. Oh, no, no, there, there's nobody, there's not gonna be anything such thing as fear of God because he's a loving God. I can't imagine a loving God being, wanting us to be in fear. No, no, you don't get it. You can't have a loving God without also having to fear. Try to raise your kid that way. I'm just gonna love you and give you everything you want, your way. Disasters. They ain't gonna happen, they need rules. They need guidelines. They need discipline. And you and I are the exact same. And so God says, he reveals himself. Flip flip with me. Uh Uh-oh, I lost it. Let's see here. Uh Uh-oh. No, I was already on it. That's my bad. All right, flip with me. Because this is where God reveals himself to 34. It's one page later, sorry. He says to Moses, all right, Moses is talking to him again. He's up on the mountain. Now we're doing this again. Moses chisels out new tablets because this is the third time. This time, Moses is writing his own hand, right? Because when we want God our way, we move further and further away from him. So first time he's speaking audibly. Second time he's writing with his hand. Now Moses is writing with his hand because we just keep messing up and failing, all right? Verse five, Exodus 34. Then the Lord came down from a cloud and stood there with him being Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children of third and fourth generations. You see, God says there's only one way. Yahweh, God's way. And God's way is this. He is 
a God of compassion and mercy. He's slow to anger. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He will lavish love upon the nation of Israel, you and I. He will forgive iniquity, rebellion and sin, but he also punishes the guilty. He also holds them accountable. He also continues to exercise his justice. It's not just all lovey-dovey. This is Yahweh God's way. This is the way he created you and I to interact with him and it's create this fear of him that knowing that he can do both and, and he does it beautifully. He says, this is, who I, this is how it was uh, in Exodus. You see in 1 Samuel that we, we, as the people of Israel, we want a king. Give us a king like everybody. Everybody else has got a king. We want a king. God, you're not enough. We need a king. Then we get to the New Testament. It's like, well, but here's the savior. He is literally walking in the same feet that you and I have. And we're like, oh, it's surely that can't be him. That's not good enough. He's not rescuing us the way we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from Rome. I go, you could, it's not your way, God, it's my way. You read this in Galatians, you don't need to turn there. Just listen to this passage. Because it's almost as if this passage and Paul's, he's speaking directly to Israel or he's speaking directly to you and I. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Israel, you just got taken out of, out of Egypt by the most powerful and amazing ways possible. And now all of a sudden at the foot of the base of the, uh, the mountain, 40 days later, you're like, yeah, that's all right. We're not gonna go that route. We're gonna do it our way. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? You see, back in Exodus, when God reveals himself and says, I'm slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. God had in mind, Jesus. God knew that he was gonna send his son so that you and I, even though we still mess up in the same ways, that we still make idols of things to worship on a daily basis, that we could be forgiven, that we wouldn't have to have the punishment for our sins. He sent us on Jesus, why? So that he could claim us again as those are my people, not just now, but for eternity. And listen, church, one day you're gonna experience this, my people. I was, Philip said this this morning. He said, sometimes I think there's people out in our congregation that when they get to heaven, they think they're gonna see Jesus give them this look of disappointment. And it couldn't be further from the truth because in that moment, you're gonna be whole. In that moment, you're gonna be sinless. In that moment, you're gonna be perfect the way he created you to be. And he's gonna be so stinking excited to see you. So excited to see you. And why? Because of the blood and the body of Jesus only. And so this morning, the servers are gonna come, you guys can go ahead and come and serve. But what I want you to do as they come and serve, I just want you to hold on to the elements, okay? The top tip, cup is the juice, the bottom is the bread. If you haven't been with us before, go ahead and come down and serve, you're fine, All right? I want you to hold on to it because the truth is, is you and I, we are just like the nation of Israel. As God's people, we fail together. And so we're gonna take the elements this morning together and remember that we've been forgiven together. So hold on to these. The band's gonna play the first half of this song. Feel free to sing along. Feel free to stop and contemplate that. Spend a moment praying if you want. And I'll come back up and I'll lead us as we take the Lord's Supper together.